왜 이렇게 눈만 시뻘겋게 칠하고 다녀? 친절해 보일까봐. 42 of Vague Zone. I am Daniel. I'm Thomas. And today we are discussing the 2005 movie Lady Vengeance. We are wrapping up the Park Chan-wook Vengeance trilogy that started with uh, Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, then on to Old Boy, and now 2005's Lady Vengeance. It is Ladies yes. Night. Yes, yes. If you are a lady and you are listening to this, pour yourself a glass of wine, put your pajamas on, put, sit down on the couch with your dog. Uh, yeah. get comfy. I think this movie <laughs> would pair well with the red wine, I mm-hmm. would say. Oh, absolutely. A very red wine. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, Thomas, before we get into it, will you read for us the IMDb synopsis? Absolutely. Lady Vengeance 2005. After being wrongfully imprisoned for 13 years and having her child taken away from her, a woman seeks revenge through increasingly brutal means. All right. Yeah. Thomas, let's just get into it. What did you think of Lady Vengeance? I really enjoyed this one. I, mm-hmm. I I thought this movie was pretty fantastic. I, admittedly, I was lost watching it the first time because there's a lot of characters, there's a lot of plot, there's a lot going on. I was foolishly trying to take characters' names down while watching it, mm-hmm. and that was abandoned very fast. But yeah, I, I really love this movie. I think this is the first movie that's making some substantial comments on North Korea and the relationship between the two neighboring nations and yeah, this definitely feels like the work of a director who's grown up a considerable amount between those first two movies. This doesn't feel like a shock fest like Old Boy was, and it doesn't feel as excruciating as um, Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance. It definitely feels a little bit more calmed down of a movie. Um, yeah, I was really, really into it on the second watch, and I like. I think this is my favorite of the three just because of... Yeah, just the photography really was really strong. It doesn't quite have like that insane performance at the center of it. The performance of the main actress is uh, uh is, is pretty good, but yeah, it's not as um yeah, Old Boy is just a really shocking film. And this movie isn't setting out to shock you. It's more it has a, it's more contemplative on I think the relationship between the nations and just a lot of new and old and wish versus angel. It has a lot of like those like back and forth and so i i found it to be really interesting and i really enjoyed it what do you think about it um so i'll start by saying i really liked it there are some things that i'm still not i'm not totally clear on maybe i need to rewatch it um but it's interesting that you say that this one wasn't the same sort of shocking uh that old boy was um because i feel like the i feel like this movie is simultaneously the funniest but also the most disturbing of the three movies um because I, okay, yeah, there's, point. <laughs> there's some shit that happens in this movie where I don't think I don't think Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance or Old Boy may, ever made me feel like, well, maybe Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance made me feel this a little bit, but ever feel like, um, why are we be, why are we seeing this? <laughs> like, why, yeah, like is this too much? Um, yes, yes, I agree. The ending is it, it gets there. But yeah, I think just the editing of that scene was like. I don't know. It, I mean, it the could edit- have been <laughs> across the board. The editing is great, but yeah, yeah. Finish your thoughts. Sorry. Um, 
Yeah, uh, I just want to make sure I, because I, I wrote the word down, I want to make sure I use the correct word. Um, yeah, it just, did, this movie did, didn't did feel as cruel as Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, mm-hmm. and it just, it didn't feel as, I don't know, because just Old Boy just has like the long, the big fight scene and just like the octopus, and it has a lot of things in it that are just like, we're going to put this on screen and make you watch it. It definitely happens in this movie, but I think just that scene is the way it's handled, which it felt a little different. And so, yeah, when I first watched it, I was like jaw dropped to the floor. I was like, holy fuck, this is really intense. But Mm -hmm. yeah, I just think the majority of the rest of the film is a little bit softer compared to those other ones. And and like the characters are like much more nuanced and detailed. And I, I just enjoyed that journey. Yeah. Like I said, I think, I think this is the funniest one. Um, We start with like this, um, this group of, people dressed in Santa outfits getting ready to sing. They all drop their coffees at the same time when she appears. Yeah. Uh, there's even moments of which like, we're already starting off with this kind of unusual, this unusual Santa thing. It's, it feels comedic. It, it's not sinister. <laughs> yeah, it yeah. is leaning more, it is leaning more lighthearted. And there's a lot of times in this movie where even when we're dealing with very serious stuff, like right off the bat, she is, uh, she's accused of being a child killer. So like, mm-hmm. So it's weird to transition from, okay, we're dealing with these Santa Clauses and this like weird guy offering tofu to, okay, this woman is a child killer. Um, but there are even moments in this movie where it's very, very dark and very, very heavy, the subject matter, but it's still pretty fucking funny. Um, there's a scene later in the movie where, can, can I already get into spoiler territory? <laughs> uh, yeah, we can hold up. We can hold up. We can hold up. But, there's um, also some things I wanted to mention because I'm reading this book by a South Korean author that I help, I feel like helps add some more details to just what's going on. And particularly with this movie, because I feel like there's something going on with this whole like prison and being free thing and just like so yeah, you, just the imagery. You mentioned that this movie is making a lot of commentary about North Korea. I will admit right now that is completely lost on me that any any okay. commentary this was making was like over my head. So I'm, I'm curious there's, to hear what you... Well, there's one image in particular that stuck out is when they're inside of the prison and basically uh, pull up the character name. That's one thing I did not do yet. Um, <laughs> oh, okay. I think I might know where you're going. Yeah. So Gumja. Uh, yeah. So Gumja is basically like a pretty um, influential character or person to these other inmates. Like mm-hmm. these other inmates are dealing with like one inmate is like bullying and abusing her like sexually, and, and there's like. Uh, there's like yeah these inmates are dealing with dramas of their own and one of the characters sort of leans on her for support and in that moment her face is glowing and they like they mentioned early on they're like oh like she's an angelic face like she has the face mm-hmm. of an angel but in the in the prison scenes her face is literally glowing and that's like taken directly out of uh dictator images of dictators of like putting the face of kim jong-il like in the sun yeah and so it's just like even uh, the poster on imdb has it like surrounding her face in sort of like a virgin mary type of way but yeah the first thing i thought when they come out of the the very first shot is like a wide after the santa thing it's like the prison on one side and like everyone else on the other it's like the gray prison on one side and then like the blue nice sunny background on the on the right side and so it's like this transition of everyone sort of meeting and reuniting with their families Hmm. on one and so yeah it just felt like implying like sort of themes of just um uh, reunification yeah it it felt like family sort of reuniting and just implied that just like you know that lost past sort of thing okay yeah that's something i totally did not pick up on (laughs) and which is funny because i feel like this movie is pretty upfront with a lot of its symbolism like it 
yeah. like he's offering tofu and he says this is a symbol of um you know purity and it's custom to eat tofu when you get out because it's purity it's pure white um we have the recurring i know you're someone who's very interested in color in movies and so we have like the recurring red but like starting with yeah. the santa outfits and then she wears like red makeup around her eyes um we have yeah it's like yeah there's interesting uses of color in this movie especially the way like yeah she communicates with the detective when they're doing this whole like recreating of the crime scenes and she's getting the details wrong mm-hmm. and he's like communicating her but like but like like giving her items and things like that i thought that was really interesting yeah and can you remind me what is the color of the marble of the boy that she is accused of killing it's orange orange okay i thought yeah, it was either red or green is, uh, she thinks it's green, but that's wrong. And then okay. he hands her an orange folder and hands her an orange ball. Okay. I'm I'm then, uh, colorblind, so <laughs> I totally. So when we when we do see the the marble in the movie, I I had no idea what the fuck I was supposed to uh, think of, think of it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Even when I saw because this movie has some fantasy sequences in it too. So like I was just like a two notches too distracted when I was watching this the first time it's like I had a beer there was like some music going on next door and so I was just missing some things and so yeah there's a a part where there's like a ghost scene in this movie where it's like a kid Mm -hmm. playing with the marble and yeah it like I just totally missed that detail and so yeah this is one of those movies that definitely like I feel like I benefited a lot from a second viewing before we dive too deep I want to read you this quote from this book because I felt like it just like it helps shade things really really well this is by suki kim she's a south korean author she's in the same generation as park shan park shan was born in 69 she's born in the 70s so basically same age so basically she says my korea is the south the industrial overachieving better half that spewed out hyundai and samsung in the six decades since the bloody war sorry and in and in the six decades since the bloody war has established itself as the 15th richest country in the world. But the South is never just the South. Its very existence conjures up an unmentionable North, which is habitual nuclear tests in the antics of its bizarre dictator casts a shadow far beyond his own peninsula. And I was thinking about that quote a lot while watching this movie, because this is also the first movie from Park Chan-wook, at least in this trilogy, which has a character from North Korea. And it's like this character sort of gives... Uh, Gumja, the schematics for like the really gnarly gun that she ends up using later on in the movie and yeah i just i I thought that there's definitely something here going on with like these characters like are inhabiting this prison it's like six or seven women inside of like this really enclosed area and like sort of dealing with that prison commentary and then the finale like the climax of the movie takes place in this really dilapidated school that yeah visu- visually looks like this would be like more appropriate in north korea as opposed to south korea and so yeah i was just thinking a lot about that relationship while watching this movie especially when yeah like the wide at the beginning where she like walks out and crosses from left to right it just felt like a very like a crossing of a threshold and a crossing of a border and yeah this movie seems to be really interested in like dichotomies of like angel and witch and north versus south even like the the west versus korea thing with like the daughter having the language barrier and like they're having some miscommunications and so yeah i just thought that uh upon second watch i I was looking at this a lot more from just like i feel like park shambuk is making a commentary on just like yeah these characters would not exist without some sort of connection to this other darker side Hmm. yeah that's interesting (laughs) yeah you're totally uh in a different realm than i am (laughs) 
Sorry. Yeah, that's, I just wanted to mention that, uh, yeah, uh, this movie sort of moves on at a breakneck speed once we, like, are introduced to Gumja and, like, her or plights. We, like, dive into just the, the progression of, like, the first half of this. Yeah, what did you think of the structure of this? I really enjoyed it. It was a little confusing to me at first because, uh, yeah, we're meeting these other inmates and it's being shown that she was reformed inside prison and that she became, like, this model for the the inmate with faith and like you know she finds finds uh like christianity in jail and then like reforms and then is allowed to be released early and so she is like this model mm -hmm. inmate and then she goes around and she starts to reconnect with her former inmates and then we learn that she has changed since then and that like she was putting on a front while yeah she was in there. i really enjoyed the way the structure i like the use of camera techniques from like both uh mr vengeance and a little bit of old boy there's i like the use of the wise and i like the like the the fluid camera moments like the door swinging like i like those moments oh yeah what the weird think, edits like, yeah 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 what do you think about like just like the editing because yeah it does feel like it's a little bit more like this is like the more light-hearted side of the movie so it's a little more funnier so like, you know. i i need to i need to double check it but i believe i heard that each of these movies has a different cinematographer which is kind of interesting um, oh, okay. because they do have these similarities, um, you know, old boy, there's the famous hammer scene where it's like this large tracking, um, in lady vengeance, we have a scene where these two men are trying to, um, kidnap her and her child basically. And we have a scene where it's like this tracking wide where she's a approaching one of the men with her gun and then she kills him and it feels yeah. kind of reminiscent this movie is reminiscent in a lot of ways of the first two but um in regards to the editing this movie it, it's doing this weird thing structurally where it uh will frequently cut between like past and present or um i think even occasionally present and future to sort yeah. of tie uh these different moments in time thematically or you know to communicate something a little broader um which I really like. Um, I'm trying to think of a specific moment, but... I, I know there's one that was really confusing to me the, on the, the first time I watched it is when she, like, basically starts having... She has this affair with the baker that she works with, and they go up, they have sex, and in, like, the moment she's, like, smoking, it's, like, right after, like, this... <laughs> after they had had sex, it's like she's having a cigarette, and she starts explaining what happened to her daughter mm -hmm. but we don't see it visually we just get the audio clips of just some like some brief screams and some just sounds of her daughter being kidnapped by our eventual villain like the main villain of the movie and that was that was a part that really kind of confused me because a lot of times this movie will do a flashback show us very briefly take us to that place and yeah. just come right back but that was one of the few moments where it's just going to to like have us hear it and again, I, I'm like, I keep obsessed with this whole North-South thing. I was like, yeah, it's like they're playing with like detachment of like, yeah, something about like hearing this really crucial bit of information, but we're not being allowed to see this. And the fact that it's like uh, they, ha they have fun with it too. It's like the kidnapper kidnapped a, the kidnapper's kid. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's like this silly like like um, alliteration, but it's like, holy shit, that's actually a really dark piece of information that's given to us. And this kind of goes back to what I was saying about how this echoes the previous two movies in a lot of ways. So it's like, with Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, obviously there's a kidnapping of a child and there's this element of, um, you know, uh, a parent mourning the death of that child and seeking revenge for the death of that child. With Old Boy, 
We have someone who is imprisoned for an incredibly long time and planning their revenge from prison. Um, And also we get reused cast members from both movies. Um, Both of the leads in Old Boy or or in uh, Simply for Mr. Vengeance show up as uh, hitmen or like assassins in this movie. Um, The lead from Old Boy is the villain in this movie. Yeah. The villain from Old Boy is shows up in a very brief cameo towards the end of this movie as the adult version of the boy that she killed. Um, yeah, and there's like a ton of other little connections like that. But yeah, my favorite connection of all of those is the fact that our yeah our main villain says a quote from our heroes from sympathy for Mr. Vengeance. And that's like about Mr. Good, boxes that there's good kidnappings. Yeah. Good, yeah. Ki- yeah. Good kidnappings and bad kidnappings. And I was like, Oh, you guys are ha- definitely having fun with the fact that this is a part of this trilogy, yeah. part of this connection and yeah. Bringing in the actors and then yeah. Sort of flipping them. What were like the one badass like TV guy or you no, know, the guy who was like watching the security cameras and old boy who gets his teeth ripped out. He's now our like, or a nice tender baker who has like a shaking problem and can't mm-hmm. decorate Kate's properly. So I, I, I love when movies do that where sort of just take an actor and sort of just recontextualize them entirely. Yeah. And it's a really good way of like making the point that, no, this is a trilogy. Like it could have just been three movies that are all based on the same theme. Um, they don't need to be packaged together, but now you're, you're giving a little treat to the people who actually did the work of watching the first two. Yeah. And I have a, a question for you. What did you think about, because this scene is, has been stuck with me, what did you think about our first fantasy sequence? The dog. Is, <laughs> yeah, well, not, it's not the first technically, but yeah, the, the scene in like the Arctic tundra with the dog, what did you think about I this? honestly don't know. Like that is one of the things that I, so I walked, yeah, I walk away from this movie being pretty confused about the dog. Um, later in the movie, I think I think we're going to get into spoiler territory now. Um, yeah, do you okay. think we've said enough where we can get in the spoiler territory? Yeah. Because um, there's a lot. There's it's a pretty dense plot. So. Yeah. So later in the movie, she like gets a dog from some sort of like adoption service or something like that. And then yeah, it's she... Like, it's like a market. <laughs> yeah. And it feels like she's gonna... She's getting it for her daughter or something. Like she's out with her daughter and her, you know, boyfriend from the cake shop or whatever. And... It, it feels like that's this nice thing. And then, so I, I was watching this part with Emily. Um, they're driving along together and Emily's like, is she going to throw that dog out the window? <laughs> and I was <laughs> like, I was thinking to myself, why would she do that? And then I was like, oh, why would she do that? <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> like uh, you know, maybe she wants to know what it's like. To, maybe she would do it to know what it is to kill something, um, to like ready yeah. herself. And then, of course, she takes the dog out into the snow and she just shoots it in the face apparently i don't know but um yeah go ahead it's interesting that you mentioned that because old boy has that beat too where i want to kill something that's alive well or not that but it's we yeah we talked about that but also where odesu he gets out and he's just like he's been punching a wall inside Mm -hmm. old boy for 15 years so he like wants to test out those skills on people and Mm -hmm. yeah i think this movie definitely is making a comment on just like the fact that this violence it, it gets stylized and gets depicted on camera but like when it comes down to actual p- people actually committing this violence it is something that is gut-wrenching and life-changing and very like ceremonial towards the end of the movie mm-hmm. where it's it's you know it's 
cool to sort of have this nice they all line up and they all have their weapons and stuff but like the one yeah the one mom just like chugs the entire flask because i'm like yeah like this this is not an easy thing like you know do like doing this to someone another person's flesh is not a simple act and i think this this movie is the first one to to at least uh, meditate a little bit more on that idea yeah um but what do you yeah but what do you make of killing the dog (laughs) i don't know i just i it's a nice moment of foreshadowing with like the fantasy sequence and then it happening later but yeah i think it's like this weird reverse save the cat moment to where it's like she is she is very cold she is yeah, yeah. She, she has not approached she, like her atonement. She is not an angel. Yeah, um, yeah that, that's like the witch, one hundred percent. Yeah, because it's like this. Yeah, this is like the first moment where I'm like, do we need this? Like, could we cut this out of the movie completely and have it be fine? Um, yeah, and I think we. Yeah, cause could. I, <laughs> yeah, I'm into the first one. I like the one where it's the one girl. She has like the brief flashback of her like strangling her pimp, and then she turns to. Uh, to Gunjan, and then she's like glowing like the dictator sort of thing so mm-hmm. i was really really into that one and that totally worked for me but yeah and this other one was really strange and like, yeah weird gun with two triggers and yeah like it's it's just very strange so yeah <laughs> I'm, I'm happy you sort of feel the same way yeah because it's like if they'd cut this scene out i wouldn't be thinking well you know that movie would have been a lot better if she shot a dog like yeah yeah um but yeah, the thing, the next thing in this movie that where where I felt like I think this might be going too far. I don't know that we needed to see this is the snuff tapes. Um, yeah. When we find out, so so she finds out the murderer, um, or the murderer. Yeah, like the person. Okay, I, we have to kind of like describe the whole plot to. to Got, yeah. We find out the villain <laughs> had killed many children, uh, not just yes. the one that she was put in prison for that she took the fall for. Um, and so she gathers all the parents together. So now it's not about her taking revenge. It's about her being the purveyor of revenge. Uh, yes. She has the villain locked up in the other room. And she, yeah, she has all, all the parents sitting in this classroom. And she shows them the tapes that the villain took of him actually killing these children. And we see portions of these tapes. We see children crying for their parents um we see a child is she does she have like a bag over her head or something and she's gonna be hanged yeah that's that's the one that really hurt me to watch that that was really hard because the the match cut the edit is, yeah yeah the edit is just like so good and also another moment of like foreshadowing in the beginning of the movie when uh, she first gets out she knocks off the plate of tofu the tofu falls off the, the preacher's hands and it's uh some match cut with not a match cut um whatever it's called with the symbol falling like one of the santas drops a symbol and so that comes up again in this where we're like we're seeing like this snuff film and we're seeing the guy like reel in the rope that is attached to the bottom of the chair and as he does that the mom falls over and starts like seizing up and i was just like yeah i was just like hands hands in hair pulling dreadlocks out like that is one of the most brutal things i've seen in the movie in a long time i feel like yeah definitely um and so that is something where i'm like why does this does this does he have to go this far because something that because i feel like if you are going to go that far what follows is we get this nice comedic thing of the parents arguing about like okay how are we gonna kill him are we gonna kill him like who's gonna kill him 
it w- like like initially the initial argument isn't funny. It is, but it's a nice conundrum for these parents to be in. It, it's a fun thing to watch. Um, Absolutely, yeah, yeah, definitely. But later, when they're all sitting side to side, we have a wide shot. All of them lined up against this wall, sitting on sitting in chairs, and they're covered in. They're wearing these like plastic ponchos, and they all have weapons. Um, there are some pretty comedic moments there. And then we get them killing the villain. They're taking turns, uh, you know, stabbing him, doing whatever. And I think I, I think it's kind of unfair or I, I, I don't know how I feel about the decision to make us watch these snuff films, but then deny us the brutality of what these parents do to this guy. Like maybe that maybe it would be wrong to show that, too. I don't know. Um, that's a good point yeah because it's like I feel like if I got to see what happened to this guy it would perhaps give me a sense of relief maybe perhaps yeah (laughs) maybe it would color the parents in a different context that they want to avoid Um, but then but then we get this sort of epilogue scene which which okay so after they kill the guy they bury him she shoots him in the face with her guns Uh, he's already dead but she like finally fires her gun that she's been carrying throughout the movie um it felt like the movie was going to end but then we get this sort of epilogue scene where she takes the parents to the bakery she works at she bakes them this black cake and they all eat this black cake they sing happy birthday and they say something about what do they say about angels you remember Okay, so there's a break in the conversation, and the guy's like, they say when there's a break in the conversation like this, it means an angel's passing over. Yeah, and we get this beautiful scene of them just like, it feels like they're just watching for the angels, or like feeling for them, hoping to sense them or something, which it's insinuated that it's their children uh, that they've just avenged. And I feel like the, I've seen some sentiment that like the movie kind of goes on too long after the death of the villain. But I think this is crucial because we can't just see these parents in the context of them killing this guy. We need to see them as more human. Uh, I don't know. I think it's really important that we see them afterwards. Um, I agree. Yeah. And you did bring up a really good point that the fact that it does spend a, a considerable amount of time showing us the children go through that tragedy and, it does very quickly skip over that. So there is no like catharsis really for any of what this person's doing. But yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe, yeah, it's, it thinks that it's sort of been noted on in the past that like, if we got that catharsis, what would that be like? And, you know, yeah. would it be, would it be hollow or would it be you know satisfying to actually see? Because the first two movies are really making it clear that vengeance the search for revenge is self-destructive. And so it feels like it feels like it doesn't want to give us the satisfaction of seeing this guy completely brutalized after what he did because maybe that satisfaction is a bad thing. Maybe that will lead us down the path of thinking that revenge is good. But also, I don't know. I don't know what to make of this ending. <laughs> yeah, I, I think there's a, an interesting moment that I'm sort of latched onto is okay, so they're all surrounded around the grave, and she she shoots them twice, and then they all walk off, mm. and then we basically get like a a moment that is similar to Odesu's moment in the snow at the end of Old Boy, where we're just zoom in on her face, and it's just like this really gut wrenching mixture of like joy and pain, where it's like she's like crying and like smiling, it's like this just a really messy bit of emotion, and then it fades into a TV. 
and it pulls back and it, like, it just turns into snow. Mm. And I think, I don't know, for me, it was just like, I thought like it was just like implying that that was her atonement and that's like literally her transitioning into the purity that this movie has been talking about throughout the entire time. It's like, she gets offered this tofu thing at the beginning. It's like, this is like your purity, like you need to eat this and then you'll enter into the world again, all new and white, like, or whatever. And she knocks it over and then that uh, gets matched with her daughter offering her, no, sorry, her offering the cake to the daughter mm-hmm. at the end and then they're, they're sharing it. She like, shoves her face in it. Yeah. Um, which i really liked the shoving of the face <laughs> yeah that's the part i was just like okay yeah i feel like it's going on a little bit too long it is funny but uh yeah i was just like i'm well, not exactly sure what you're trying to say here to me it feels like to me it feels like someone who it, it almost feels like someone allowing themselves to cry after not allowing themselves that for so long like she shoves her face in the cake because it's like she can finally live pure now that she's achieved what she set out to do um and she literally dives face first in it (laughs) yeah and i think that's why i said in the beginning of our conversation when i was like this movie didn't feel as cruel because it allows it's the one movie in the trilogy that allows our main character to walk away with a sense of like yeah i guess everything's wrapped up kind (laughs) of yeah so she like the daughter's going back to australia which we haven't even talked about the australia detour which is like another really odd comedic moment with fantasy stuff going on um but yeah like she has like her boyfriend like and it's okay she the daughter's alive she's alive they sort of they could theoretically still communicate and mm-hmm. so i think there's some some optimism built into that but yeah the other two they the other two films they do not leave you with that parting yeah of like oh a nice snowy korean alleyway to sort of cleanse all of our sins in it's like it's pretty yeah that's why i think that's why i liked it because it had a happy ending yeah i yeah this is definitely the happiest ending i guess like of the, it, yeah of the three movies about torture and violence yeah. being imprisoned it does feel like it does feel like at the end of this movie it can the characters can move forward um i don't know yeah, old boy was. I remember you saying old boy. It kind of had a happy ending, and it's like, uh, I mean, because it does end up in a place where the characters can move forward. But moving forward, they had to. Odesu had to make a very interesting decision to get to that place. Um, yeah, and also thinking more about just like yeah, just thinking about this novel and just thinking about the relationship between these two nations, and yeah, holding on to baggage and like holding on to like a darkness is something that is is inherently a South Korean thing that they like talk about just because of just the history of the nation. And so, yeah, I think it, it, it's like the sliding scale, but not, not the sliding scale, but um, yeah, old boy was like, Oh yeah, this seems happy, happier in comparison to Mr. Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance. And now lady vengeance seems happier in comparison to old boy. Yeah. So just like, just in, just, I guess, yeah, just in contra and juxtaposition of those. Um, any additional thoughts on lady vengeance? Oh yeah, uh, well, she... go ahead. Actually, go ahead. Uh, no, you you first. You first. Um, so earlier I said there was some stuff that I was confused about. Another thing I was confused about was the role of this detective or whoever this policeman is, because he knows she's taking the fall. He knows she didn't actually kidnap and murder this boy, and he's like feeding yeah. her information so that she could take the fall convincingly to the media. I I don't understand why he's doing that. Yeah, honestly, I watched it twice and I still didn't get it. Okay. <laughs> I was like, I don't understand exactly why that initially took place. I think for me, it sounded like she was trying to run away from 
the shame of going back home with this like teenage pregnancy. Or, like, I don't know if, if it was clear that she yeah, early on. had let her, her – I don't know if it's clear that if her parents ever found out or when they found out, but I think it's implied that it makes it feel like uh, Gumja is like out of options, so to speak. So to me, it's like maybe she saw going into prison as like a, a safer place, so to speak. Uh, I don't know. Well, because but – yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I'm – really not sure i was thinking of kind of just grasping i mean like well the guy threatened to kill her child if she didn't take the fall so yeah but it's like um yeah yeah i don't know i don't i don't know why she didn't i don't uh whatever (laughs) yeah even when the detective first showed up i was kind of confused because yeah she's talking to the the former inmate and she's like yeah like did you have you found him yet did you kill him yet she's like no like i'm like still taking some time to do some other things and then it cuts and that's like the first face that we see after that cut and so i was just like oh i I thought that was the guy i thought that was going to be the person so when the actor who played odacy when so when that person shows up later on i was like wait hold on a second which person are yeah like the actual the bad guy yeah yeah and then also the fact that it's like we're dealing with like two distinct groups of people it's like the former inmates and then there's like this family and so it's like there's just kind of like a lot of characters yeah there's a lot going on in this movie yeah yeah is that it for lady vengeance we're Um, done with the vengeance trilogy yeah so are we gonna do um the the last little one the last additional film that i mean so i i'm having fun watching revenge movies (laughs) uh okay (laughs) but yeah yeah, if you're down i'm down to watch eight diagram pole fighter next week okay cool yeah and uh so our listeners know we've gotten some listener requests and so we're gonna find a way to incorporate that into yeah. our flow moving forward so well, we a couple of requests this week yeah so. we did um yeah so maybe maybe when we pick our next franchise we can make them sort of related to these requests and work them in uh, that could be cool um yeah what have you been watching this week so this week i watched a film by the name of army of the dead is this Evil Dead, Army of the Dead? No, okay. no, no. This is Zack Snyder's oh, oh, oh. Army of the Dead. Oh, I'm. What am I thinking? Army of Darkness is what I'm thinking. <laughs> yeah. Um. Okay. Yeah. What did you think? Oh, it's so bad. Oh. It, it, is, <laughs> it is one of those movies that it could have been fun and silly and stupid. Instead, it's just stupid. Mm-hmm. And it was like the plot is is one whole thing, but he shot it on these like consumer lenses. I posted this on Twitter. Um. There's like. <laughs> so many shots in this movie where it's just the depth of field is just yeah ridiculous. i've been seeing a lot of like, that yeah and it was like i'm usually not a stickler for stuff like that i remember when like cloverfield was really popular and like those found footage movies were like all the rage that a lot the big complaints were like people getting nauseous in the theaters mm-hmm. and i've never felt that way i've never felt yeah. nauseous while watching a found footage film or anything like that and so i'm, I'm fine with a camera being moving and, and a camera you know doing weird stuff but he shot that movie himself, and yeah. it's just horrendous. Like, there's just so many shots in that movie where it's just, you have no idea what's happening. And, like, yeah, like, it, it could be Ocean's Elevens with zombies, and it's not that. Like, it, it could have just been something really fun and dumb with Batista at the helm of it. But, yeah, it's just so many brown characters dying for no reason. So many characters dying for no reason, period. Not even the fact that it's all the black characters that get the worst of it, but it's just... Oh, it's just <laughs> so bad. I was like, yeah, Justice League made me sort of forgive and forget on Zack Snyder, but this made me remember it's like, no, yeah. like, he's not a not a competent filmmaker when it's all entirely on him. And it's why is it two and a half hours? Like I haven't I haven't watched it. <laughs> yeah. 
But yeah, this is the second the... bad review I've heard from a friend. So yeah, this is the first time I've ever watched a portion of a movie with the Netflix. Uh, with the speed up with like because you can watch movies what? on netflix yeah on netflix you have the option to watch stuff at 1.25 speed or 1.5 speed is... i think oh, it's wow. just because people are, are impatient <laughs> with streaming and that's also something that happens in syndication it's something i didn't know about like apparently like tbs and that would happen in the 90s and the 2000s is ch- channels will speed up a show for syndication so they can fit more room for commercials interesting into it. i never knew that yeah it, yeah, and so they'll be like, if you like watch an episode of Seinfeld, they'll be like, this feels a little off. It's because like it's happening just like slightly faster. And so, yeah, it's just like, yeah, fucking capitalism is awful. But um, yeah, I, I find it interesting that it's on Netflix. And so, yeah, it was the first time where I was like, I had a time crunch and I was like, I want to know what's happening, but I don't have the full 30 minutes. So I just put it on one and a half speed and it was the strangest thing I've ever experienced watching. I want to know what <laughs> Martin Scorsese <laughs> thinks of that. <laughs> because <laughs> he, he did a movie want, with netflix yeah, and it was three hours re- yeah so you could definitely watch um irishman at like one and a half speed whoa he's too irish um anything else he's kicking that guy fast <laughs> yeah <now>. wow. <laughs> wow he looks great <laughs> he's actually pretty competent he's so yeah, spry um, so yeah yeah so that's what i watched this week yeah then i've been reading this book i should mention the title of it it's called Without you, there is no us, and it's about the undercover among it's called undercover among sons of North Korea's elite. Mm. It's by Suki Kim. So, if our listeners want to read that book, I highly recommend it. So, that's what I've been doing this week. Um, so I I watched, no, I engaged with three things this week, and one of them I know you have, so I'll save that one for last. But first up is Sunset Overdrive. It's a game from. I believe it's Insomniac, the people who made Spider-Man, and they've also made Ratchet and Clank. And this okay. mo- this game feels like a pretty nice bridge between the two. So the story is that like um, this energy drink company creates this energy drink that turns people into like zombie mutants. And so the game takes place in this city where it's like a post-apocalyptic sort of thing, where there's all these different gangs that have uh, different bases throughout the city, and you're just okay. running around helping out these different gangs, evading uh evading mutant zombie creatures and so it's it's kind of like spider-man in the sense that it's traversal is really important to the game so you're like okay you're grinding on rails and um like phone lines you're running on walls you're bouncing off of cars and dumpsters and swinging on poles like prince of persia and shit and then (laughs) the weapons are kind of out of ratchet and clank territory where you're firing like exploding teddy bears and uh, you have a gun that shoots records, vinyl records that just like bounce around enemies and stuff like that. So it's really playful with its weaponry and it's totally consumed me. Um, it, I am completely just, dis- I was playing a resident evil seven before and I'm completely distracted from it now. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty fun. Pretty good. Uh, the next thing I want to talk about, I watched this yesterday. I watched the Tom green movie. Freddy got fingered. Oh, have okay. you seen Freddy Got Fingered? No. I, <laughs> okay. I remember that title being so strange to me as a kid. Yeah. Like, I don't want to watch this. Is that a porn? I assumed <laughs> it was like, I assumed it was someone like had a finger pointed at them like for a crime or something like that. You know? Okay. Gosh. Um, that's not what 100%. it is. <laughs> um, and the title is 
unusually like not relevant to the movie it like um, it doesn't become <laughs> relevant until like 45 minutes in and it's not the focal point of the movie but um yeah this movie is fucking insane like it is the most anarchic movie i've ever seen it <laughs> okay like roger ebert gave it this famous review where he said something along the lines of how it's not the bottom of the barrel it's not it, he, it, it doesn't scrape the bottom of the barrel. It's not the bottom of the barrel. It's not below the barrel. It doesn't deserve to be mentioned in the same sentence as barrels. <laughs> um, but this movie has sort of had this reevaluation recently where some people are like, maybe it's a masterpiece. <laughs> like, maybe it's incredible. <laughs> and so having never seen it before, having only seen it yesterday, uh, it, it is I, I I've I've probably spent more time thinking about Freddy Got Fingered than I did about Lady Vengeance. <laughs> it is completely okay, <laughs> it is completely it's given me a lot to think about. It is a fucking weird movie because like we've had conversations about comedy and like what makes something funny. When we watched the binge, we were talking about this. And so yeah. with Tom Green, like so much of his bit is just that like he just he's just very loud and annoying and he runs around in a goofy way. And it's, I don't know. It's like this. Yeah. It's just, this movie has, it's my head is in the whirlwind right now. <laughs> um, yeah. I forget what word you use. It wasn't chaotic. It was anarchic. One, but also, that's, yeah. That's a good way to describe Tom Green. It's, yeah. it's very clearly like, this is a man who does like comedy segments on a show or like sketches or something, because this movie is just like a bunch of, scenes that are loosely tied together with a plot there's a scene in this movie okay so the plot is he's he's a cartoonist he wants to sell his work to an animation studio but he he's a failure he can't get a job like he nothing's working out right but he's also like an incredibly annoying man he must have some (laughs) sort of like i don't know mental problem uh because he's just screaming all the time and (laughs) There's like a scene where he's he's on the road and he just pulls he sees uh this farm where they're raising um what 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 are the horses that impregnate other horses uh but oh yeah what's the word for those stallions <laughs> yes so like they're raising stallions and he just pulls over his car and jumps out and he starts jerking off a horse this is real he's jerking <laughs> off a horse and he, okay. Oh, uh, another thing I got to mention, I watched this on Tubi, which is an ad supported uh, streaming platform. <laughs> he's jerking off a horse. He's screaming, uh, look at me. I'm a farmer. I'm a farmer, daddy. Look at me, daddy. I'm a farmer. And then, <laughs> and then because it's on Tubi, which is ad supported, we cut to an Applebee's commercial. <laughs> and that was the funniest thing that happened in the movie. Um, That's, oh, there's that a scene fantastic. where he helps a woman. Like I was describe, I I picked up Emily from work. I was describing scenes from this movie to her, and the whole time I I felt like a crazy person. Like there's a scene where <laughs> yes. he, at one point he's licking a man's open wound after he breaks his leg. At one point he's swinging a baby around by its Jesus. umbilical cord, and blood is flying all <laughs> over the room. Um, I don't know, man. Like I I feel like you kind of I feel like people you kind of have to watch this movie <laughs> like yeah i i feel it because yeah tom green was sort of like a force to be reckoned with like late 90s early 2000s mtv and like yeah i just remember like like tom green was to me was always like the weird guy he showed up in charlie's angels and like yeah had like 
a very just odd person persona on screen and so yeah i never like watch this stuff but always all hearsay i remember hearing about the horse scene though yeah like if you read about the scenes in this movie you would be like how do they work all that into a movie they don't <laughs> they don't do a good job no, they don't. it's just like he just yeah, he literally just pulls over on the road and starts jerking off a horse, apro- apropos of nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, you should watch it because <laughs> it is. Uh, I mean, clearly he was like the precursor to Eric Andre and like Tim and Eric and stuff like that. Uh, Jackass was also a precursor to these people, but totally. I don't know. It's there's nothing else like it. Uh, I think the closest the movie I can think of that's closest to it is probably Tim and Eric's Billion Dollar Movie which I think is worse, honestly, because that steals jokes <laughs> from Austin Powers and stuff. Um, this huh, this at okay. least feels like this is a unique vision of a man who just thinks yelling is funny. Um, yeah, and definitely. he also appreciates surreal violence. It's it's It has sort of like an itchy and scratchy vibe. It, at times, it feels like... Um, it feels like if John Waters, if you replace John Waters' wit with aggression, that would be <laughs> what this movie is. Um, so you're saying Tom Green has more in more in common with John Luke Godard than he does with that? <laughs> I have read people say that. Yeah. Oh Jesus um, Christ. <laughs> anyway, the last thing I watched was the first episode of Z Way's show on Showtime. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, that is fucking awesome it made me think about um it made me think about like all these hack comedians who are like well, you can't talk about anything anymore everyone's so sensitive you can't talk about things and it's like no you can yeah, talk about yeah. things you just have to be tactful you just have to be good at it and yes yeah the approach is key yeah because she's being provocative and she's talking about race <laughs> and it's funny it's uncomfortable sometimes but that discomfort is a you mine that discomfort for comedy yeah, people were saying, you just mentioned, um, like, talking about Tom Green in connection to, like, Eric Andre mm-hmm. and uh, Tim and Eric. But, yeah, I was thinking about Stephen Colbert a lot when I was so watching was I. Yeah, And I was like, yeah, like, this feels like like Colbert 2.0, where it's, like, like a very, like, sharp, young black woman. Yeah. It's just, like, yeah, her, her interview with Phoebe Bridgers is amazing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, uh, like, that's the show, yeah, I'm still, like, <laughs> taking some time to process it, too, because, yeah... Yeah, just like asking Andrew Yang what his favorite Jay Z song is, and like, oh god, yeah, yeah like, that like Andrew this, Yang like, interview was fucking disaster. <laughs> yeah, there's like, like this white guilt game where she's like trying to get her contestants to cry. Yeah, and, and yeah it's just like it's yeah, super deep and super cutting. Yeah, yeah, I was not, I was not prepared for Z Way. So good, yeah, I, I, and like I've heard yeah. about her. Like I'm, people have been telling me like, oh, you gotta check out Z Way. And like I follow her on Instagram, and I just never, I don't really watch like longer stuff on Instagram, so I never checked it out. And then, so yeah, as soon as I saw, I think the first thing I saw was um, on, on YouTube circulating was the American Girl doll sketch, and I was like, oh, this is yeah. fucking great. And then I watched the Karen thing, and then yeah, the whole first episode is on YouTube. So. Yeah, it was really, really good. And um, I would also recommend um, Pause with Sam J. It's on HBO Max. It's I feel like it complements Z-Way really well because it's just a really stripped down talk show where it's just like a bunch of like 
young 20 something 30 something like black people people of color inside like an apartment building they're playing pool smoking weed Mm -hmm. and drinking and that's like how the talk show takes place there's there's some other portions where it's like pre-filmed but it's more just like kind of like a conversation within the group it gets a little chaotic um but i really really just enjoy just how stripped down that way was because like yeah z-ways were like high concept where like yeah she's like uh who is she uh is it Fran Leibowitz? Yeah, she's like asking Fran Leibowitz if she like what's more what's more annoying to her, racism or slow walkers? <laughs> yeah. Like she's just like it's just like hitting her with like some super heady shit. Fran Leibowitz, who yeah, has no she, idea who she is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That entire interview is fantastic. But yeah, I think that was really good. It's more like high concept and like be kind of abrasive and a little prickly sometimes. So was, I think uh, Sam Jay's show is a little bit of a. It's a little more like a decompress. It's a more hangout vibe. Yeah. So if you need something not not as um not as aggressive, I love I, <laughs> I love Z Way though. I, all, all thumbs up. Yeah, the casual talk show is an interesting genre where because there's like there's pause. That's what's called right pause. Yeah. There's comedians in cars with coffee. There's dinner for five and like John Favreau has a a couple of them where it was like dinner for five and then the chef show is kind of like a casual yeah, talk show. Yeah. Um. Yeah. There's got to be. Yeah, maybe we'll see more of those post-COVID when everyone's yeah. like, fuck it. <laughs> yeah, I would re- really be into that. Comedians in cars with co- <laughs> comedians in cars getting coffee is interesting because they'll be like having a really great conversation and then they'll just hit traffic and then it's like, okay, it's like, this is where the episode stops. <laughs> yeah. so it's just like massive They're like waiting for their food jam. or something. Like... Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh yeah, we're in Los Angeles and it's 6.30. Yeah. If you would like to contact us, you can email us, vaguezonepod at gmail.com. If you have questions, comments, concerns, or movie suggestions, let us know. We got our first two this week. You can let us know what movie to watch, and we'll watch it. We, we're easy to convince like that, so let us know. You can tweet at us. Tweet us at vaguezone. We're always on there talking about new Z-Way interviews and all sorts of new Twitter happenings. If you'd like to follow us, you can just follow us on Instagram. I am at vague, uh, sorry, I'm at vague zone right now, so you can follow me on Instagram <laughs> for some more up to date updates. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. So yeah, this has been episode forty two. I'm Thomas, and I'm Daniel. We will see you on the next one. All right, peace. <laughs>